everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Where can you get the best medical information anytime, anywhere? Right here on the smartest doctor in the room. And I'm not kidding today. We're go we're going across the Atlantic to Germany to bring you somebody very special. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Please note, though, as much as this uh, information is really in, you know, special, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as personal medical advice. For that, please see your trusted healthcare professional. You know, here in the United States, holistic medicine has become more and more popular. You know, the public is concerned about the side effects of medicines, and even the doctors here slowly but surely are acknowledging that lifestyle changes may be as important as a doctor's prescription. Now in Europe, holistic or natural medicine has been popular for over a hundred years. So it's not really surprising that some of the best work in the field is coming out of these European countries. And we in the US are trying to catch up. Today's podcast will be on specific practices of urine European naturopathy, you know, things like hot and cold contrast showers, the power of herbs, different types of fasting, the benefits of spending time in nature, and a lot more. My guest today is a world-renowned doctor in the field of naturopathy. It's Dr. Andreas Michelson. He is a professor of clinical complementary medicine at Charit University Medical Center in Berlin. He is also the head of the internal medicine and complementary medicine at Emanuel Hospital in Berlin. And boy, does he have credentials. He's board certified in internal medicine, emergency medicine, nutritional medicine, physical and rehabilitational medicine. So we know he's very well trained. He has also published over 200 scientific articles in top medical journals. And he's the author of two internationally best-selling books. And these are really some of my favorites. You have to get these books if you really are interested in holistic natural medicine. One of them is called The Nature Cure, A Doctor's Guide to the Science of Natural Medicine. And the other one, the more recent one, is The Fasting Fix, where I think you're going to get the real deal on how to fast properly because, again, there's so many misconceptions. So with that really long but well-deserved introduction. I'm excited and pleased to welcome from Germany, Dr. Andreas Michelson to the podcast. Yeah. Hi, Dean. Thanks for the kind introduction. Yeah, I'm happy to, yeah, to be here in this podcast and yeah, look forward to our discussion. Okay. Yes. I think it's going to be really interesting. So the question I have to ask you, because I always, you know, I ponder in my mind before I do these podcasts and I give a lot of thought I know from myself here in New York, you know, when I go to a party of among, you know, new acquaintances, and they'll typically say to me, oh, you're a doctor. What kind of doctor are you? And now I have to pause because my practice has changed dramatically. I was internal medicine trained. I did a specialty in allergy, immunology, infectious disease. And now majority of my practice is what we call functional medicine and holistic medicine here. So my question to you is, if you were walking out on the street in Berlin in your white coat, you were going to grab a cup of coffee and somebody stopped you on the street and said, Dr. Michelson, what kind of doctor are you? How would you answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, clearly I, I would say, or I tell uh, those people, I'm a doctor for natural medicine. And 
you 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 have to know that in Germany, natural medicine, all what you already mentioned, nutrition, fasting, lifestyle, is very very popular. Really? So okay. I worked for ten years as a cardiologist. And right. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that time, people were not so much interested when I said, "Oh, I'm a I'm a doctor. I'm a cardiologist." They said, "Oh, you're a cardiologist," but they had no questions. And today, uh, when they hear I, I'm a specialist for natural medicine, yeah, they, they most of them like it, and they have a bunch of questions regarding, oh, which vitamins, which diets. Well, of course, now they want all your information. Yeah. Okay, I had a feeling that in Europe and in Germany, things are more accepting. I mean, it's it's really changing here in the United States too, because I, I get a lot of positive feedback, you know, because we before, <laughs> if you said to somebody, I do holistic or functional medicine, they go, what do you do? You know, they're like, they're a little bit perplexed. All right, so maybe you can explain to the listeners too, how would you define a naturopathic doctor or naturopathy? Because, you know, we do have people in the States that get certified, but they, they are not medical doctors as you are. It, there's a dip, it's a whole different tract. I know uh, that's a, a, a cause of misunderstanding, I, I, I think, yeah, because uh, it's totally different in, in Germany, it, also in Europe. So um, me or my colleagues here at Charity Berlin, we are medical doctors, trained medical doctors, board certified, and then we have an extra education in natural medicine. And... Um, this is very simple to explain what is natural medicine. It's all what is delivered by nature or natural stimulus, what supports healing prevent or prevention. And so we, yeah, it's, it's about, yeah, already mentioned, it's about what do we eat, diet, fasting, but it's also about heat and cold. Right, I want to get into that, right. It's, I found that fascinating in your book. Or sunlight or herbs. It has to, to stem from nature. Yeah, that's, yes. that's the definition. And of course, if you have a Finnish sauna with 100, 100 degrees, it's not pure nature. Yeah, you, you, right. you have it. Right. <laughs> so, okay, well. But it's derived from nature. I get it. Before we go into some of the basics about naturopathy, but do you think Germans in general are healthier than Americans or? Um... No, no uh, it depending. I mean, I think in general, when I regard the data, um, Europeans and Germans are a bit healthier, a bit less obese um, than uh, Americans. But I think in, in the U.S., it, it largely depends. I mean, if I see California, everybody is crazy about fasting. I would say, well, mm. California is bigger than, than Germany. It depends a little bit. I see what you're saying. You know, but it's interesting too. Sometimes I have when patients go to Europe, um, and I even remember in Germany, some, I, I remember a person who was driving me once to the airport was asking me a question. You know, again, he knew I was a doctor. He says, why is it when I go to Germany? He goes, I can eat the food and even drink the, the beer there. He goes, I don't feel as sick as I do if I have it here. So is it less preservatives, would you say? Or is it more closer to nature, the food? Well, yeah, the, the, the Germans, yeah, they they are, you know, they they are a little bit special. They, they, <laughs> they in their core, they are very romantic. Uh huh. We don't think that Germans are romantic, but they are. Yeah, they, okay. They, they love 
poems and music. They're That's true. To, There's some great Rilke. They, they, they <laughs> like to go in, into nature, into the uh -huh. poem. Right. So they adorn a little bit. And U.S. has a great landscapes, great. Yes, land. we do. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder that it's not really appreciated. What that, that's that's probably true. We're stuck inside, you know, our uh, offices and now in our homes with uh, hybrid work. Okay, yeah. let's let's go into. I want to go a little bit into the basic principles of naturopathy too. Now, one of the things you mentioned in the book, and I got I'm familiar with it because I was fortunate to interview way back, maybe a couple of years ago, Mark Matson at the NIH, yeah. who I know you're familiar with, and his term hormesis. And I want to define this a little bit for the listeners. Uh, how would you explain hormesis to them? Because they may say, well, what is that? You know, why, why is this important? Hormesis is just stimulation of self-healing. And uh, this, this stimulation of self-healing is not always very comfortable. It's not very nice. So hormesis is stimulation. But on the other hand, what, what it means to us, it's get out of the comfort zone. And and that's the definite and that's what's all about hormesis. Yeah. So it's it, sort it, of like so it's sort of like challenging your body. I mean, I yeah. I mean, you know, uh, how do I say I mean, it's challenging your body enough. It almost sounds like when you're working out, if you don't exercise a yeah. little bit to challenge your muscles, they're not going to, you know, develop. Um, there's a saying, I think, also in the US, what, what does not kill us. Um, makes us stronger. Okay, I'll finish yeah. the song on that. <laughs> and on the cellular level, that's fully true. Uh, and as you say, if, you, if we do exercise in the first moment, it's not, it's no fun. Right. The same is true for fasting. The same is true for a, a, a very cold shower. It's, that's that's where I wanted to go right next. So I'm glad you, you yeah. led me into this. Let me ask you something. Now, again, I'm not forget when I picked up your book, I forgot I must have seen it advertised somewhere. And I'm always trying to read the latest things. And, and I really enjoyed the writing. It was really good. And then one of the things I had heard before, you know, sometimes again, not from medical doctors, but from, you know, holistic practitioners that I I, I always seek out about the hot and cold contrast showers, or you call them, I think, the scotch hose treatments. Yeah. Uh, now, I did one of those this morning a little bit just to get ready for this podcast. But maybe you could describe for the listeners a little bit what that is and what does it do to your body, your nervous system that has a benefit? Yeah. It, it's a, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's very simple and depending on where you live, if it's summer or, or winter. But it's always good to test the body to stimulate him. And so, if you if you are the whole day in a, a yeah perfectly climated room, your body gets very lazy. Mm. Your thermal regulation, and so it's very good to stimulate it at least once a day. And the best um, the conductor of heat and cold is water. And so it's a it's a very old principle in Germany to have cold pourings with cold water. If you are, if you take a shower, yeah, you you clean yourself, but then you 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 switch to very very cold, as cold as possible, and then you start to pour with very cold water the whole body. Or you do, if you have a lake that's very very cold, I I I'm lucky. I have a lake two kilometers near my home. And at the weekends, I, I go for a one minute um, swim. Sum, day. Submersion. Uh, like also you see. in the winter. Um, 
it's it's no fun in the first moment. I, oh I yeah, recommend to, to do it without a, a, a training. Yeah, but if you do it, you feel great afterwards, and so you stimulate. And the the, the it's the same with the cryo chamber we have here at the hospital, a small chamber. It has minus one hundred twenty degrees um, Celsius. It's very very cold. Wow. You stay there for two minutes, and what happens is thereafter you get very warm. That means your body reacts. Circulation, yeah. Circulation, perfusion of tissue, everything gets better. And so, if you feel cold, it's not a good idea uh, to to put to put the temperature higher in the room. The best idea is to have a cold shower. Wow. Okay. So let me ask you, I, I actually did one of those treatments this morning before the, the podcast. I took a nice hot shower, you know, get ready for my day. But I also I have like a double head in my uh, shower. And then I, on the other head, I put it to the cold. But I have yeah. to tell you, part of it's mental and say, well, am I ready to do this today? <laughs> then when I do it for those, I, I barely could do it for 30 seconds. I, but I follow your description of how, because I think it's important people know, you know, again, you describe in the book how to do your legs first, because it's very shocking to the upper body. And I find the, the the most extreme part is when it hits my upper back. I don't know why. That's yeah. like, the, maybe it's near my heart or something, but I, I even the front part of my chest, it's okay. But when I turn around in the shower and that cold water, after taking a hot you know shower, it I, it's like shocking to my body. And then I, you know, I, I count the seconds <laughs> and then I go back into the hot shower and it does feel wonderful. You feel like you're really alive. I'm a little bit dizzy sometimes, yeah. you know, but uh, but what is it doing? Is it, it also like you're saying, do you think it has something to do also with our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system? Yeah. Is it like yeah. that vagus nerve control? The upper back, for example, it has less skin receptors. I mean, we know that yeah, with our hands, mm -hmm. we can feel right. very tiny, tiny differences in the right, field. right. In the upper back, if somebody pushes you with a finger, it's very hard to, to discriminate. Right. So there are less receptors there. But if these receptors are getting um, information, it's cold or hot, they really react. And what they do is, yeah, on all levels, it's circulation, but it's also a kind of hormones, yeah, like a, a little bit of, of endogenous cortisol mm -hmm. and cytokines. That means that the body just reacts. You think, oh, there's something different. I have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so it's also very useful. We did studies ourselves for the immune system. Yeah, You get a better protection resilience um, against getting a cold. That's what I've heard. I think you mentioned in the book and I've heard, and I've seen this, you know, I was doing research for a book I was going to write about the immune system. And it was interesting. One of the things was about the, the contrast showers and, and doing different things to stimulate the vagal nerve because it, it increased immunity and decreased yeah. infections. What's very impressive is cold showers, cold bath or a, a, a switch from sauna hot to to cold right your your pulse i mean your heart rate goes chronically seen down like like if you do endurance sports training yeah i mean the very sportive people they have a uh, low heart rate yeah heart rate from yeah, 45 or, or 50 you can achieve that also only by doing cold stimulation yeah. mm-hmm 
So let me ask you this too. It's very healthy to have a low, uh, a low heart. Low heart rate. That's right. Yeah, that's a good thing to point out. Chance to get one hundred years old. Right. Yeah. The yeah. The less your heart beats, the more beats it may have over the long run. But let me ask you this too. I I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Robbins. He's like the very famous in the United States, the motivational guru. And I remember like in a bunch of his books, you know, he's written about how a lot of times he'll start his day by jumping into a cold pool or river. But he makes it sound like he's doing it to challenge himself, saying he goes, I, you know, I have the will to do stuff. So you mentioned you like to go in too. I mean, because it's not just that scotch hose treatment. You'll go into a, a cold pool or a river, I guess something natural. But is it also, I mean, you have to be careful. It is a little bit of shock to the body. I mean, does, does anyone have to be, if they have a heart condition or yeah, anything? Of course, I mean, I do it, I recommend it, and I, I use it as treatment, not for a mental challenge. Yeah? That's also something very interesting, yeah, to have mental challenges. Yeah, I can yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, prevention and therapy. And then it would not be good um, to do it without any preparation that means when you when now one of our listeners would say oh that's great yeah, I, I will jump into a very cold <laughs> New York river in oh no yeah that's why I put the that's why I put the disclaimer at the beginning of the yeah. podcast <laughs> for the first time in his life and he would not be prepared not with courage right right, oh, right. Yeah, it would be kind of dangerous maybe yeah yeah I'm not sure about that. There, there, there could be a chance of having arterial fibrillation or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So the the key is to prepare to stepwise train the body. Okay. Like sports, if you never have done sports and you go for the New York Marathon, that's not a good idea. A lot of people get sick. Yeah, a lot of, I remember because you know it's funny. The New York Marathon, the hospital where I worked in New York City, was right near the finish line in Central Park. And I'll never forget being on call the emergency room that week weekend was not a good thing. <laughs> there was a lot of people. We were rehydrating and dealing with I issues. <laughs> uh, but, you know, another interesting thing, though, too, I just want to point out. I, again, I remember reading this in a magazine article. There was a woman who uh, suffered terrible depression. And, you know, she had lost her children. I don't remember from violence or an accident, something really horrible. And. She was an advocate because she swore it helped her. She used to go into, I mean, all through the winter into the, yeah. you know, into the cold uh, ocean yeah. and, and stay there for like 15, 20 minutes. I guess whatever was like, you know, reasonably tolerable, but it lifted some of her depression. So I found that to be fascinating. Yeah, yeah And this is also proven by uh, small studies, but it's proven by studies if you stay let's say two minutes in a cryo chamber or if you yeah i mean if you start uh, jumping into a river uh, in december so you you will not stay longer than for 30 seconds or 60 seconds you stay as after 30 seconds there's pain you feel the pain a little bit but after 60 seconds you leave afterwards you have a real um great mood enhancement hmm. nearly everybody hmm. um, when i see my patients going down uh, it's in the uh, in the first floor of the cryo chamber um to the to uh, to the cryo chamber and most of them are yeah the, i mean pain patients they 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 have real problems they have not good mood 
they go to the cryo chamber and afterwards you see them singing or wow it i mean it's just for a while but, but of course it's a temporary but you sometimes you need a little jump start yeah if you repeat it then it stabilizes yeah what do you tell the patients who do this to do because i think you mentioned it a little bit in the book when they if they say they come out of that cold pool river do they immediately go in warm blankets you know what's the best transition the um the best transition is that it is uh for for sure that you get warm again in a reasonable amount of time so you should you shouldn't be freezing the rest of the day uh, that, right. that means you have a very cold stimulus latest after 20 30 minutes you should feel warm Okay. And so you have to do everything what ensures that you feel warm. And somebody just needs, um, yeah. Okay, so just some, you know, some. Somebody else maybe needs three thick um, snowboard jackets and stuff. Right, like but they shouldn't have to feel that, say, let's say they come out of the cold river, they come out of, out of you know, that, that they don't have to continue that coldness. They should start to now reheat, like put yeah, put blankets or whatever on them. You know, yeah. you see the surfers, I'm sure at any place there's a coastline who like to surf in the wintertime, you know, I'm sure they get a certain stimulation, even though they're wearing a wetsuit, but that they, I guess, quickly after should have blankets or something to control the heat in That's their body. Exactly. You should then um, it's stimulate the heating of your body with all means that that are uh, yeah. Available. And Dr. Michael said, and what about the head? You know, it's you know, it's an old grandma. I don't know if it's a grandma's tail or not. Too. You know, like don't walk out with a wet head and it's cold out. You'll get you know, uh, you, you know, you'll get sick. Is there any anything to that or? Well, most of the the the, the ice swimmers here in in Berlin, they have a the a cap. cap. Yeah, and, and they also wear it when they are the minute in the lake or the two minutes. At least you have to wear it as soon uh, as you leave uh, the water. The head should be warm. Yeah, that, that could be dangerous. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's really beneficial stuff. We'll need to make it back to some other hydrotherapies later, but I want to move on because uh, I want to get into fasting. I mean, fasting, again, is starting to get trendy in the United States. Uh, patients have asked me about it. Um, obviously, there are a lot of patients in their religion, they, they fast, you know, occasionally on certain holy days. And I, I know even myself, you know, in the, in the Jewish religion, there's a couple of, uh, it's actually, I'm finding out more and more, there are more days of fasting than I realized. But it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. I mean, I do it. I don't always feel so well. And I know you describe in the book um the benefits of it and i and i want to discuss even the proper ways of doing it um you know again as i said in the nature's cure you have a chapter on it and the fasting fix you got, you have a whole book on it um i guess my first question for you is you know you mentioned that you come from a family of doctors your dad was a doctor did he introduce you to fasting was that something that later on you discovered i know your colleagues and friends with Walter Longo, who I've had on the podcast. Um, did you guys sort of independently had been working on fasting or was there some kind of collaboration that led you guys yeah. you know, to promote it? I mean, fasting is a large tradition in German natural medicine. And as you mentioned, my dad, I mean, he's hard to say, not, children should not fast, but he, t he told me the all these healing stories uh, from his patients. And so I was aware this is a, powerful um very powerful healing method 
there was not much science about it. Mm-hmm. I, I started to do uh, clinical trials in the late 90s. Oh, wow. From 2000 on. And uh, then there was this nice um, development or this coincidence. 2009, I realized that Walter Longo, my friend, is also, uh, or, or he's doing a fantastic job on doing fasting studies. And so I think both worlds met, and then we met also several times. So we had the the, the historical use, the practical use. I, I mean, I treated probably 50,000 patients now with fasting. Wow. And then there was Robert wow. who, 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 yeah, who described me all the lab science and all, all the data. And it just supported my view that I think fasting is, a if, if done properly, is a very powerful uh, preventive and therapeutic tool. Okay, so let's let's talk about this because I think this is what the really important thing is. I, I mean, I'll just make an aside too. Like when I was again, I just remember these flashbacks when I was working in the hospital thirty five years ago, and again I was in the emergency room. Uh, a very famous uh, writer, I think his name was Dick Gregory, came in. He went on a forty day fast where he was just drinking water, and I think a lot of water. And he ran into trouble. His just for our listeners, he developed what's called hyponatremia. His sodium was super low, and that caused swelling in his brain, and he almost went into a coma. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell us, you know, and I'm curious myself, what's the best way? Take us through it to prepare for a fast. Because I'm always worried about that. <laughs> you feel like, oh, I better get all my food in the day before I fast. Take yeah. us through what's the best way to prepare for a fast while we're fasting, and then of course. The break fasting. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah, they're very important, and the endurance of fasting. It's also important. Well, yes, because also your hospital. Just as an aside, so I want my patients. We don't have anything like this in the United States. I mean, you have at your hospital, I guess, a ward, clinics where patients are inpatient, monitored while they're fasting. So, yeah. you know, so yeah, take us through the right way to do it, and why yeah. also patients have to be hospitalized. In your case, I don't know if it's for compliance or for safety. Let's say fast okay. is very safe when you are healthy. Yeah, then you can yeah read uh, yeah can read my book or another book and, and see book. how it's done, and then you can perform it uh, for five to ten ten days. What's very important um, if we do it for those purposes or in our hospital for patients, um, then we don't. Uh, uh, realize it as a zero diet. A zero diet would lead to muscle wasting right. and risk as hyponatremia. Uh, uh, hypo we won't risk that. It's better to have a, a small amount of calories during this core fasting days, five to 10 days. And the calorie, the amount of calories should be 200 to, let's say, yeah, the fasting mimicking diet of Walter Longo allows right. 600. It's very low. It's less than 500 calories about. Yeah. yeah. And it should, if you go higher, it has to be vegan and should not contain any sugars or are very, or, or, or reduced sugars. I would recommend not to go over 600 calories and no cereal diet. And you drink water or herbal tea as much as you like, and you should drink uh, uh, um, fluids. Um, It's not like Ramadan, like these kind of intermittent fasting where you do dry fasting. Not at all. You have to. Well, yeah, that's like in the Jewish religion, like, you know, on Yom Kippur, you you do not eat or drink. 
Yeah. I mean, so this you can only do in a very in intermittent uh, period, like for a twenty-four hour period. Yeah, it would be dangerous. Yeah, and mm -hmm. but the fasting, if you do it like that, you and then you have the traditions. Yeah, you have fasting with soups in Germany, or you have fasting with porridge, only up to six hundred calories a day. Yeah, and energy intake. Yeah. You have fasting with a little amount of uh, fruit, an apple a day or two, uh, orange. Or Does it matter when you eat? I mean, let's say I, I really want the specifics because I want to help the the listeners who decide, you know, that they want to work with their their doctor or someone who's knowledgeable. For, I mean, for for all these uh, healthy effects of fasting, it's not that important what you eat. I mean, it should not be. How about animal, when you eat? It should it should should not be animal products. And when you eat, also doesn't uh, matter because you are um, you you are below the threshold of okay. hundred calories a day. It doesn't matter when you eat your fasting soup. Yeah. Um, it, it has to be vegetarian, vegan, exactly, yeah. And it's important to um, also to, to, to have not a too stressful time. Right, you're right. Well, that, those are the things I wanted to really ask you. Okay, so yeah. to lead into the fact... Your body survives, of course. No, of course, but you. But I know so the, day, let's say, the days that I have fasted on religious holidays... I, I feel weak, you know, my, I'm a little bit, you know, agitated, which I guess is part of the process, but I couldn't imagine, honestly, like working a regular day, seeing patients. I usually will take something like that a day off. Yeah. And, um, you know, well, you know, like Walter Longo's work was, I said, I'm familiar with that. I've interviewed him. I read his book, you know, like five days out of the month, because that's what he recommends, you know, which I understand to get the, the to achieve what you want, it's kind of like five days you can't do a lot, right? I mean, it's not like yeah. you can't you can't go running, you're not, you know, you uh you no, you, you, you wouldn't want to be somebody operating on you in the operating room, you know. I mean there, there there's three three important information informations. The okay. first is I think to do it every month is is very hard. Okay. I'm not doing it myself. Okay. Well, what I do is two, three, four times a year, five okay. to seven days. Okay. And all what we know, this is enough. Okay, that's really important. So thank you for sharing what you do, because yeah. I think listeners, you know, they, people get and too extreme. That's not realistic to right. do. Right, right. Yeah. So, and then on an individual basis, you have to find out how you feel during fasting. We have the experience that people that are a little bit obese, that have just too much, they enjoy fasting. They are very powerful during fasting. Those people that are already have an ideal body mass, right? In, right. They hardly have a hard time during fasting. The hardest time in fasting are the first two days. There you are kind kind of irritated. Sometimes you feel a little bit angry. You're hungry. Um, but this stops after the second day with the third or fourth day reg regularly. Yeah? Interesting. So, and then you have to find out how, how do you feel um, on these days? I know a lot of people that just work, yeah, they work and live their normal life. Um, I'm, I'm, I not. I try not to have a very full working day when I'm fasting because yeah. I'm not. I'm not really. You're not 100 percent, really. I mean, it's you know. 
fully uh, in my value, but there's one important message. The more you 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 do fasting, the better you 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 become during fasting. That means I understand. The, the first time is bad. The second time, ah, it's okay. When <laughs> when you've done it for five years, your twentieth time, it's like that. Wow. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because, I, well, do you think part of that's mental or is it actually physiological? Because I, I find myself when I know, you know, when, when I was younger, when I fasted on the religious holidays, I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it. You know, now as an adult and whatever, I'm like, I'm going to make it. This is just mental. You know, how much? Of course, you need discipline. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course. But but these training like effect, this is just cell physiology. Yeah? Your, your cell knows, oh yeah, fasting again. Yeah, I switch mm -hmm. the energy type. I produce the ketones. Um, you, your cell then very automatically switches uh, into the other fuel. Uh, and and the, the, the more you do it, the better it, 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 it the switch. Let me just ask you too, because actually after I had I think before I interviewed Volter, you know, I had purchased his uh, Prolone, I think it's called, yeah, Prolone uh, packet. You know, it's like that five-day thing. I just was looking at it. And of course, it, what, you know, stick, struck me was how, obviously how low calorie it was. But it was also very high salt. You know, there was like a lot of some of these soups. I, I didn't, it didn't seem that healthy to me. You know, is there... I mean, again, I, I'm not to criticize him because he's doing amazing things, but if you were to do the, the five days yourself, I, I, I feel like you'd sort of do your own homemade natural type of thing. Well, you would make your own soup or uh, what, what would you do for your five days? The best is to do uh, the, the own soup, to cook the own soup, the vegetable broth. This is always the best. I mean, salt. It's a little uh, in 30 or 40 years uh, ago, we, we recommended to eat no salt at all, but then we saw some real disturbances on, um, yeah, on uh, sodium uh, levels in the blood. And so then we recommended, yeah, put a little bit of salt in mm -hmm. the soup. And we also developed a kind of a fasting mimicking diet here in Germany, a little bit different from, from Walters. We, we argue sometimes about that because we have less salt it's less ketogenic um but um i think it's okay to have a little bit salt um but uh, of course with all these fasting mimicking diets it, it should be not a feeling like you're really eating yeah i mean i didn't say right but you should be feeling like there's some deprivation there yeah, yeah, that this is, this is important mm -hmm. um, um do you think this is part of the hormesis also again in a different way yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally convinced that you need also this a little bit this mental shift, and I mean the best thing in fast in fasting is the 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 breaking of of. Oh right. Well, you mentioned that in the book, and I found myself too many times overeating after. I don't know why. I think it's like you feel like you're. Is it is it something mental again? Because. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very uh, important uh, moment, uh, situation. And there, you you should really then just eat an apple, put it into small slices. Yeah. And when you do it that way, when you when you don't go into a pizzeria and order a right, lot, then you will really enjoy the food the next weeks after fasting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. enormous way it's I, I, that's why i am fasting i don't like the fasting days that much 
I'm a little, I'm doing music myself. I know that during fasting, I kind of a little bit, I, I better play guitar, but I don't <laughs> like the feeling of, of being a little bit tired. But after fasting, you really get this energy boost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, what did I want to ask you on? Um... I forgot okay. one thing. I What's forgot that? one thing. But you asked me also before how do you, what what to do before fasting. There's one one final recommendation. If somebody yeah. tries the five day fast, the day before fasting, you should eat um, only um, vegetables or a part. You can eat as much as you like, but it should be easily um, to digest. So it's mm -hmm. not a good idea to eat. Like a heavy steak or something the day before, thinking that's going to carry you through because your body's, hand, you know, because it takes more than like 24 hours for this stuff to go through the colon. For three, four days in your bowl. That makes sense. Well, and let me ask you too, what you're saying to him, breaking the fast. Like I read one once, it was interesting in a magazine, you know, that during Ramadan, you know, when it's actually obviously a whole month of essentially fasting during the day, which they break at night, that someone had recommended to another follower to always drink some hot tea when breaking the fast because otherwise they got a lot of gas or they didn't feel well. Is that something sometimes you'll tell people to do? Have, like, it sounds like into the apple, having something small or gentle, not, you know, not yeah. overwhelming. I mean, hot, hot tea is, is uh, a fennel tea or uh, stuff like that. It's always very good for, for any fasting procedure. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I, And especially for breaking the fast, uh, hot liquids are very good. Mm -hmm. uh, however, but there's a really uh, individual range. Yeah, for example, there um, in in German tradition previously it was told not to drink coffee during fasting. Okay, I I changed that because uh, I realized that a lot of people get headache at mm -hmm. the first or second fasting day when they do not drink their regular coffee, and so I said, well, drink coffee. Uh, th this is on the cellular level it doesn't matter if you drink coffee or not but you don't have a headache so it's better to drink one cup of coffee if it's good for you okay let me ask you to uh, a slightly different thing than fasting because then i want to get onto diet about the time restricted eating and um you know there's been there was a lot of play up and the benefits of it a lot of people were trying it it didn't and that's obviously less extreme than doing a, a you know a, a fasting mimicking diet you know, because a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't, you know, I can skip a meal here or there. But do you think the literature is holding up that this does help for weight control and health benefits? Are, are you a big fan of it? Well, we, we um, my my working group, my scientific is in, in close contact to all the the U.S. working groups from, yeah, Courtney Patterson and Sachin Panda. And, and I'm, Panda, I'm, okay, right, it's you know, I We recommend... Um, intermittent fasting since many years, and I think it 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 holds true that that if you if you want a modest weight reduction, um, it, but mostly uh, the early time restricted eating is very useful. But unfortunately, most people prefer um, the breakfast skipping and don't like the dinner canceling. Yeah, but uh, but if you do the time, the early time restricted eating, let's say that your your dinner is then the latest at 6 p.m., you, you have benefits. You will lose weight 
but you don't have all, all these profound medical benefits that you experience with long-term fasting. It's not as much. It's not the same. It's really not the same. Yeah. And and let me ask you one thing too. This was confusing to me because I've interviewed a lot of top experts from Dean Ornish to Barry Sears. I've interviewed them all and they're, you know, um, had a big influence on me. But even Walter Longo said to me, which I was surprised, he said that, you know, because again, you know, he's worked with Dan Buettner on the Blue Zones and stuff. He said, in most of the societies where people have longevity, they tend to eat breakfast. So I, you know, and again, I know probably breakfast is probably the easiest meal, you know, to, in some degree to skip. Um, so, and then on the other hand too, I, like, I, I don't know, they're all hard to skip. You know, it's like, if I, like if I don't have, when it comes around lunchtime, when I'm in my office, it's like, I need my lunch. <laughs> Breakfast is the easiest to skip. That's also what all our um, studies have have shown. And probably the best meal or, or the most important meal during the day is is lunch. You do think lunch, yeah. Then you have uh, uh, sunlight. Uh, this is important because of the melatonin that mm-hmm. gives a little bit the, the insulin. So having a big lunch or a good lunch is probably very, very good. And these, these discussions with breakfast and dinner, well, it depends on other factors. Yeah, Are we talking about winter or summer? Um, what do you eat for breakfast? I mean, if your breakfast is bacon with eggs, I would say, yeah, skip it. <laughs> if if your if your breakfast is blueberries with porridge, and some birchermusli, it's really good. Yeah, I, I remember when I was in Sweden, uh, in Switzerland once, they they said have it; it's very good for you. <laughs> yeah, stick with it. Yeah, so it depends really um, also on other factors, not only on time. Okay. All right, let's talk about diets. Let's talk about eating. We're all getting a little nervous about talking about fasting. <laughs> let's talk about eating, diet. Now, I actually, I was really fortunate 30 some odd years ago to actually go through Dean Ornish's program in California. On uh, I wanted to see for myself, I was a young doctor. And here I was with all these people. I was like, I was in my early 30s. And most of the patients, they were in their 50s and 60s. But the stories were fascinating. Dean was, you know, really a groundbreaking pioneer in showing you can reverse heart disease without surgery, without medications by following his vegetarian diet and lifestyle changes, which were really important. I ended up learning that later on. It wasn't just the vegetarian diet. I mean, he showed people that had anger issues that didn't learn how to do stress reduction and didn't exercise. A lot of them, you know, would develop heart disease. So my question to you is a couple of things. Um, You know, I, I was veg- I actually followed his program for several years after I went there and I was in my 30s. And for me, actually, I ended up in the beginning, I felt really good. It's almost like the fasting thing, like you feel sort of this energy and you're proud of yourself. And then over time, again, maybe because it just wasn't emphasized, my mineral and vitamins all dropped. I started to feel bad. I was losing my hair. My skin was dry. I just lost a lot of energy. And I was like, oh, my God, my B12 level was below 400. So. And I've kind of come full circle where I think balance is the key thing. And I think Dan Buettner, even in his, uh, you know, he looked at the blue zones with these people who live long lives, they, they eat fish and meat, but, you know, again, you know, obviously not a lot. So I want to ask your thoughts on what's 
you know, some of the best dietary practices. And what I really want to ask you too, because again, it's a question that's fascinating me. What is this whole thing about an alkaline versus an acidic diet? Because you bring it up, you know, animal proteins are acidic. Obviously, plant-based is alkaline. Tell us, you know, what your thinking is, what you advise patients, what you do for yourself. Yeah, yeah, important issues. I mean, first, I really... Uh, um, admire Dean Ornish. I mean, he was a pioneer, yeah? yeah? But I think it's important that he was inspired not only by medicine, but also by some kind of yogic tradition. Yes, yes, sure, yes. Sami Swachahani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very important in this context because also when I see myself, I mean, I'm a 100% vegetarian, um, but I eat cheese. Uh, no, no, no eggs. I do this since more than 20 years. And of course, I know that if I would eat one egg a week or one one steak or Wiener schnitzel a week, it would not be bad for my... Right, health. right. Um, the, the quantity is very low. I just do it fully because of ethical reasons. Yeah, this is the traditional Asian way. Yes. Right, right. I think there is no real discussion if once no serious discussion if, if one slice of cheese kills you or, or, or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's the ethical issue or the climate uh, issue mm -hmm. so we go into other di dimensions yeah and for, for, from the medical view i think we we know that if it's plant-based if it's not 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 only plants but plant-based then it's then, then, it, then you're you're fine. I would recommend to to follow a, a real plant based diet. But I know a lot of people like, yeah, here and then, uh, yeah. Are you bit. able to get the vitamins you need though? Because again, like B twelve and things like yeah, that. Which or do you supplement with that? Yeah, all, all my patients are are recommended to um, to get their vitamin B twelve checked and of course to supplement it. I I supplement it too. You do, yeah, yeah. It's very important. And what you mentioned, of course. Um, when you, if you have a plant-based diet like Walter Willard with his planetary diet, yeah, that's the easy way. You have a small amount of cheese, small amount of uh, meat, then yeah, then you're safe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, despite that, I recommend a vegan or a plant-based diet. But then you have to take care yeah, of your vitamin B12 levels or also of your calcium and uh, of, of your level that, yeah, that you don't get problems with your bones or your, your hair. Right. So if you do a strict plant-based diet, then you have to take care of it. And, and right, you have to be, yeah, I know. Cause as I said, my vegetarian patients, again, from my own experience, and now when I check their bloods um, and some other factors, I'm, I'm concerned. And, and I know that they're doing a lot of things either for ethical or health reasons, which I commend them for, but, I'm concerned because yeah, you really have to know what, like everything, like with the fasting, you have yeah. to know what you're doing. I think that, you know, in a lot of the, even the Asian societies, um, I mean, some of them are strictly plant-based, but some of them also put a little bit of fish in their soups and things like that. So they're, you know, they're getting some yeah. also that protein. I mean, when you, when you're over 65, as, as Watolongo always points out, yeah, you have to um, uh, consider also protein intake, yeah, your protein intake yeah. should a little bit higher. I do not recommend fish anymore because of the ecological situation. Really? Yeah. Most, most of the uh, fish resources are 
over. There, there is nothing left, and we have a large problem. Uh, it was also there was an editorial drama, I think, some some month ago about uh, microplastic in fish. So I, I, I think it's it's good to eat a lot of um, um, tofu, whole wheat, uh, and and also just vegetables, nuts. It has to. Oh, really oh how do you feel about um, grains? Is that an issue? Because you know, again, here in the United States. Everything's low carb, you know, like you run out of foods to eat, <laughs> you know. Well, well, I think low carb is is really a bad mistake. Now, I, I see the point. I know it from my experience. Of course, you use uh, you lose weight when you go on. Right, low right. Carb. You, you blunt the insulin response. Yeah. Right. So you have a regular weight, but you die early. So what's the benefit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how do you feel about, you know, again, some people talk about, you know, oh, look, I don't want to be starving. So I want to induce ketones, either they're taking ketones or they do the MCT oil. Is that a shortcut? Does that help them, you know, avert, I mean, the, you know, this, doing the fasting? This is the, the very uh, exciting um, topic of fasting uh, mimetics. Uh, and so uh, everybody wants that. They have, oh, I don't like to fast, but don't don't you have a drink or a pill? Mm -hmm. It's like fasting. I would say there is some. We have some preliminary data that show for different fasting mimetics that they 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 work a little bit. Yeah, like if ketone. I mean, it's always better if the body produces ketones itself. It's 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 really better because. If your cell is already full with sugar and you put ketones on it, yeah, that will not happen that much, yeah, yeah. Um, just a little bit. But I think uh, probably I, I'm I'm not as I'd say I'm not as convinced as David Sinclair that I I think we all should get all pills that that are fast made. But yeah. a little bit of ketones, a little bit of spermidine. Um, Maybe maybe also a little bit of of resveratrol. Yeah, that might be mm -hmm. maybe a good thing. Yeah, you know what confuses me is that again when I worked in the hospital back in the day, you know we had these diabetics and obviously sometimes their insulin at the time you know wasn't as regulated and then they would get ketone bodies. We were afraid of that, and I it didn't ever make sense to me. I understand when you're in a situation where you're starvation, your body has to revert to ketones to help you survive. You know if you don't have the sugar. But it didn't make sense to me that that's still the healthy for the brain. I mean, because it isn't really, I mean, we don't want an overabundance, but isn't still glucose the main way our body cells are supposed to, you know, use to utilize energy? I mean, the point is just, we think that at least when you have a, a brain, um, that your brain cells cannot use sugar uh, anymore in the regular way. Uh, there's some uh, sugar resistance. They, they they have problems with the sugar um, supply and 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 the sugar metabolism. Mark Madsen has, has has done a lot of interesting work about it. And so when you have a damaged or or, or let's say a disturbed brain cell, and because you have multiple sclerosis or or Parkinson, uh, your your brain cell is grateful when it gets. Uh, an alternative fuel like ketones. That's the theory. And we see it with, at least, we've just finished a study on multiple sclerosis. Um, and when we push these ketones also by fasting, 
um, yeah, we, we, we see benefits. So I think it, it depends on if the cell is healthy or if the cell is already a little bit damaged. You know what's most striking to me? I've I've talked about this before in other podcasts. You know, I, I I read obituaries, not not out of a negative way. I find them very interesting biographies. And sometimes when I've seen obituaries about Holocaust survivors, I, I'm shocked when some that live to ninety, a hundred, you know. And I said, is this a coincidence? Were these people just mental survivors? They survived concentration camps or whatever. Or was there that deprivation sometimes for for months or years promote their longevity? And any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, uh, two things come together. I mean, the one is also the work of the of uh, Aaron Antonovsky, yeah, the, the Saluto Genesis, where he analyzed which person survived the camps and those survived that had the best mental strategies the best the, the, the belief and then they were convinced that there is some purpose behind it some right some sense of life i think that's the one thing yeah and on the other hand we we know we we know also from a population that, that have not suffered in 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 this dimension but there were also in europe populations like norway or denmark uh, where there were periods of hunger because um, Nazi Germany um, closed the, supp the supply Supplies. Uh -huh. of, of nutrition. And then they switched to a caloric restriction, um, to a plant-based diet. But yeah, it was it was below the what's needed. It was clearly below 2,000 calories a day. And what's very interesting, uh, Denmark and the Norway experience was that in these years, the population was uh, very, very healthy. They wow. Had wow. I think only 1% before they had 23 of heart attacks, cancer mm. got down. And so I think, wow, it's, it, one has always to, to, to be very prudent with, with this issue, but a little bit of deprivation, that's hormesis, and, and that's healthy, yeah. So yeah. that's what we talked in the beginning. Yeah. You know, Dean Ornish had always had a funny line when I was out there. He he said, you know, sometimes they had trouble convincing people to do the vegetarian diet because he says they would say, well, uh, you know, what's the point of living longer <laughs> if it feels like eternity? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I, public discussions, I hear that. Yeah. He, <laughs> um, my but last I, thing I want to ask you about is, as we're getting, we're kind of wrapping up. You mentioned, which I think is so important too, about finding our ways back to nature. Uh, again, I work, my office is in the heart of New York City, surrounded by very big office buildings, but I am fortunate, I'm about a block from Central Park. And if you've ever been to New York, it really is a magnificent, yeah, you, you feel like you're, you feel like you are in another world. So yeah. when the weather is reasonable, I'll take my lunch and go sit in the park for about, a, you know, my half hour or my lunch break. And I, I feel a little bit rejuvenated. So maybe you could say something, because I, I know I tell my patients some of these things, but again, hearing from an expert like yourself, how important is that? I mean, you mentioned about in Germany, I guess people go into forests or getting back into nature. Is it, you know, it's just... Very, it's very important. I mean, we, we, we know, we, we call it um, nature deprivation, Diseases, also some diseases like uh, depression or, or hypertension, 
because on the other hand, we know if you have uh, uh, some trees around your apartment or some house, or if you have the opportunity to go once daily or, yeah, or, or three or four times a week in a park or even in a, in a forest, uh, you, you benefit uh, tremendously. That, that's, that's all science proven, nature-based therapies. I think this is very, very important. And uh, I hope that the architects in the future, the, the city architects will consider that. I mean, Central Park, yeah, it was a, 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 a genius of city architect that- It was, <laughs> right. Planned that, yeah. So you, you're doing fully right. You go as much as you can to the Central Park. I'm here in my hospital surrounded by a very nice lake and also a park. And with all the patients that are uh, mobile, and if it's not a very hard to out window, we go outside yeah, as, as part of, of, of the- of You know, that's a great point. You know, one of the things which is so striking, especially in the US hospitals, you know, you go into a hospital and many times you don't have a view of nature outside. You're hitting, getting hit with all these different kind of stimuli that are unnatural it's just not a healing process and i know i've been i did some training in israel and it's very interesting because it's a warm climate there they, they used to have terraces and the patients you know in between you know getting treatments would sit outside on the porch looking out you know into a, a courtyard and i i found that to be very soothing you know and today you know you go to a, a new york hospital or another any even a suburban hospital you're not going to see anything if you're <laughs> yeah, so. that, I think we really have to change that. That's that's dramatically uh, important. And we are now on the forefront. Uh, I mean, one when you when you uh, have a look on the history of hospitals in Europe, hospitals started in Paris, France, and then in Germany. And they, they were all surrounded by parks in wonderful mm -hmm. landscapes. And this was very smart uh, of, of these doctors at that time. And then, of course, in Germany uh, today, uh, Charité Medical Center, it's a skyscraper, all air conditioned. That's bad. We have to we have to mm. turn back and and to have options that that patient that recover from a surgery or, or from an internal disease that they can experience a little bit of, of nature. Yeah? Uh, I think it's really important. We know from the natural killer cells to wound healing to blood pressure, everything improves when you are uh, in nature. Mm. Well, Dr. Mickelson, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I was looking forward to this for a long time. I've been a big fan of yours. I love the books. I hope, again, uh, any of the listeners get a chance to read The Nature Cure. It's just terrific. And The Fasting Fix, both of them give you such important information if my listeners want to follow more of your work i don't know if you have another book coming out or any of your articles where can they go to to find out more about what you do well on the on the web page of my hospital emmanuel uh, hospital berlin uh charity berlin they can find something yeah my new book will uh, again on diet nutrition and lifestyle will be released in yeah, okay half a year oh i'm looking forward to it that's one copy I'm going to pre-order. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again so much. Thank you.